he should be treated a certain way. And sometimes we mishandle the things that are holy. We mishandle the things that belong to God. I was in a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night in our church and we were all praying and this beautiful couple had come up and we were around them and let me tell you, we were going at it, praising God, praying, asking God to meet their needs and I opened my eyes, the prayer wasn't over yet, everyone was still going at it and I don't know why I opened my eyes but I opened my eyes and there is a brother He's literally like, one, like here's a couple that's sitting, here's someone standing. He's right here. And he starts talking to a lady that's holding her baby during the prayer. If an unbeliever did that, I could understand it. But this is a believer mishandling what is holy, okay? Maybe because I'm old-fashioned, this bothers me. But you know what? I think we need to go back to maybe being some old-fashioned, okay? Uh, communion. People come in, oh, I... I never... <laughs> We have a guy in our church, beautiful children. He's young, and I know he's got a social life. Because when he comes in the door, he's got his phone, he, he enters into worship, but once worship is over, he sits down, and during the sermon, he is on that phone. And what amazes me is that he manages to amen at the right times. So I'm like, wow, he is such a good multitasker. He's actually listening. The things of God are holy. They're holy. First half of the sermon, I'm going to move fast, is um, history. Who are you in Christ? Who you are in Christ. If I put my glasses on, I won't make that mistake again. <laughs> Who you are in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Oh, I just lost it. There we go. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? It's hard to tell where verse 1 is. Okay, we'll just start, we'll back it up. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We are supposed to grow up in our salvation. That's what healthy children do. We grow up in the faith. And now that you, uh, that you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, 
As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, here we go. This is the meat of it right here. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 9, but you are a chosen people. You are chosen. John chapter 15, verse 16, you, these are the words of Jesus to each and every one of us, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will last. Once again in John chapter 6, verse 44, once again, the words of the one and only Jesus, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It doesn't say no one will come to me except the Father draws him. Jesus got it right. He said no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. We are not capable of choosing God on our own. The Holy Spirit has to work on our hearts. He has to open our eyes to our sin, to our need. He has to reveal the futility and the emptiness of our lives without him. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. He reasons with us. He attracts us and then he draws us in. Until one day, we are faced with, with an answer. We must give an answer, yes or no. The word draw is interesting. I was like, what does that mean to draw? To draw, right? And it literally means to pull. Have you ever drawn water from a well? means to pull that water up. You're drawing water from the well. 
That's what Jesus does with us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. One day, we were lost in sin. We were in a church service, a a camp meeting, wherever we were. And the Holy Spirit literally put a rope around us and began to pull. That's why people sweat sometimes when they get saved. That's why they sweat. That's why there's a battle. Why? Because God is literally pulling them. And they're like, I don't want to go. I'm scared. What's happening? And God keeps pulling. And eventually they they say yes or they say no. There was a tremendous battle for me. Put your hand up. Put your, I can't put my hand up. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. And the Holy Spirit was pulling me. And finally it was like, oh my goodness. Hand went up. I want to get saved. Best thing I ever did. Think about the work that the Holy Spirit had to do in your life over time to get you to come to Jesus. You are chosen. I have a friend who is not a believer. Um, She said, God is busy with the universe. He's not interested in me. And I said, stop it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. The scripture says, even the hairs of our head are numbered. God is intricately involved in your life. God cares about you. He cares about you. He's all up in your business. He is helicopter God. That is who he is. Going on in verse 9, it says that we are a royal priesthood. I understand why we are a priesthood. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And every temple has a priest. So I understand we are the priesthood. But I don't understand why royal. Royal. I mean, royalty, I think about the king of Spain. I think about the queen of England. I think about the king of Jordan. And those aren't really spiritual positions. You don't think about the queen of England and say, wow, you know, she really glorified God. You just, I just, I've never had that thought. To me, royalty is a political position. It's passed on by bloodline or conquest years ago, right? Why would the scripture use the word royal? Why would Peter say We are a royal priesthood. I think we too easily forget that God is a king. He has a kingdom. He has a throne. He rules. (laughs) He rules. Psalm 47, For God is the king of all the earth. 
Sing to him a, a, a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of God, as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God, and he is greatly exalted. He rules over the kingdoms of the nations. God is a king. We are a royal priesthood. You are chosen. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And if that's not enough, Peter keeps going. We are, you are a people belonging to God. He has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We belong to God. We all know Moses. We know about Moses, the lawgiver. The lawgiver because he gave us the Ten Commandments. The deliverer. The deliverer because he set the Israelites free from slavery in Egypt. Um, a lot of interesting things came down through Moses. I like them. One of them is the priesthood. The priesthood. Moses was from the tribe of Levi. He had an older brother named Aaron. It was under Aaron, or it was Moses, under Moses, that God established the Levitical priesthood, or the Aaronic priesthood. Aaron, Aaronic, Levitical from the tribe of Levi. The Aaronic priests had jobs to do. They had a job to do. Um, number one, they had to be Levites. Right on down through the time of Jesus, if, if there was a priest and, and someone wanted to serve in the temple, they had to be a Levite. It, you were qualified or disqualified by your bloodline. If you were not a Levite, didn't matter how much you wanted to be a priest and serve in the temple, didn't matter how devout you were, how passionate you were, how zealous you were, how righteous you were, you're not a Levite, disqualified, go home. Find another line of work. The Levites, or the, the priests, were the ones who offered sacrifices to God, and they followed Old Testament regulations on how to do it and what animals were acceptable. They served as priests for a period of 25 years, from age 25 to 50. I am expired. <laughs> I am past the date of serving as a priest uh, and what's interesting is that God gives them rules for everything that they do. It's just incredible the training that they went through. And the scripture says that Jesus is our high priest. But there's a problem with this. Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. Yeah disqualified he's not from the right bloodline to be our priest yet the scripture says he is our high priest and one thing I know about God he follows the rules especially the rules that he establishes right and when he breaks them it's called a miracle 
right? It's called a miracle. So, it's very interesting because God is omniscient. He's um, all-knowing. He knows everything, right? And he knew that Jesus is going to be from Judah, not Levi. And there is another priesthood. There is another priesthood that predates the Aaronic priesthood. It's a different order. You see, Jesus is a, is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek uh, was a king in Salem. His name, uh, well, Salem means peace. And we don't know a lot about Melchizedek. He's somewhat mysterious. But what we do know is that in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, he lived during the time of Abraham. He was a priest of God Most High. He predates Aaron by a lot, and he is without genealogy. We don't know anything about his mother, his father, his lineage, nothing. What we do know is that he offered God not animal sacrifices, but he offered God a sacrifice of bread and wine. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. And in the order of Melchizedek, when Jesus uh, gave his life on the cross, the offering that was given, his body, the bread, his blood, the wine, It is very interesting to me, but I'm, I like history. In Psalm 110, verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110 is speaking about the lordship of the Messiah, about his priesthood and his reign on earth. What is interesting to me is that when I look at the Aaronic priesthood and then I look at Jesus in the order of Melchizedek, mysterious, different, we don't know a lot about them. Well, we know about Jesus, but we don't know about Melchizedek. And that's on purpose. Um, what that tells me is that God cares about the details. He didn't try to, okay, everybody, break the rules and have Jesus be a Levitical priest. No. He had another priesthood, a greater priesthood for Jesus. God cares about the rules. He cares about the details. In the Aaronic priesthood, there were rules as to how things were to be done. Even with Jesus, when he, um, when he was on the earth, he made sure that he fulfilled all the prophecies that were written about him, even the ones while he was on the cross. He didn't die. 
He did not give up the ghost until he had fulfilled them all. And then he said, it is finished. In Leviticus chapters 5, 6, and 7, at the beginning of the priesthood, uh, there are lots of rules for offering uh, for offerings and for atonement of sin. If the whole group assembles and the whole group sins against God, but they do it in ignorance, you are guilty. But this is what you do. Do this, do this, do this, and God will forgive you. If you steal a cow and you get caught, and you cause damage not just to the person that you stole the cow by stealing the cow, but you damage something on the way out. This is what you do. And this is how that sin can be atoned for. Lots of rules. In fact, I mean, I know of 5, 6, and 7. Chapter 8. So all this was training for the priests in the Aaronic line. Uh, Training for them. Chapters 5, 6, 7, rules, rules for offerings, ways things are to be done, how to get atonement for certain sins. These are the things that you must follow. This is how it's done for this. This is how it's done for that. Not everything is the same. Training. Chapter 8, Aaron and his sons get ordained. What a big day. Aaron is ordained. Chapter 9. The priests begin their ministry. Huge days. Celebrations everywhere. The Israelites are, they're just thrilled. It's glorious. The priesthood is established. They are offering up sacrifices to God. Uh, Aaron is ordained. His sons are ordained. Chapter 10. Nadab and Abihu, two of Aaron's sons, are killed by God publicly. They go out, they're going to they're gonna offer, uh, light a fire and offer a, an offering up to God. And God didn't like it because they're not the ones that are supposed to be doing it. Immediately, they're not paying attention. And what does God do in, in chapter 10 of Leviticus? Fire. Fire. Two of Aaron's sons are immediately killed. They just started the priesthood. Day one. (laughs) Gone, gone. (laughs) And Moses cracks me up because he goes into the tent where Aaron is and this is what he says to Aaron. Don't you dare rip your clothes let your hair get messed up like don't you dare go into mourning don't you dare go into grieving like God did you wrong don't you do it because God will kill you too this is what you do you stay in the tent you're allowed to grieve and you're allowed to mourn but don't you go out there and do it don't you make God mad. And Aaron did as Moses told him. It's a small thing. Everybody was excited. Nadab and Abihu. Uh, some of the theologians think that, they, that what they'd, they'd had a little too much to drink. Eh, we had a little too, Let's go. 
We're going to offer. Yeah, we're going to offer an offering. Yeah, let's do it. They won't do that again. They mishandled what is holy. They mishandled what is holy. People of God, today we tend to mishandle what is holy. We think that certain things don't matter, but they matter to God. You go, well, that was for then, that's not for now. Really? Communion. Oh, one word. Communion. What does the scripture say? Some of you, not you guys, okay, I'm talking about the scripture. I think it's in 1 Corinthians. Some of you in the church have taken communion unworthily. You're disrespectful. And it's for this reason that many of you are sick and some of you have even died. God cares about what is holy. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant, also Moses. This came down from Moses. David and, not David, um, the Israelites were fighting the Philistines and they lost. Day one, they're in battle, they lose 4,000 men. 4,000 men, the Israelites are like, what is happening? Why has God allowed this? And the elders of Israel say, we have a great idea. Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it into battle. (laughs) So they go and they get the Ark of the Covenant and Hophni and Phinehas bring it back. And that right there tells you nothing good's going to come of this. They were the evil sons of Eli. They bring the Ark. They take it into the battle. The next day, the Bible calls it a slaughter. 30,000 Israelites died. And worse than that, as if that's not bad enough, the Ark of the Covenant is captured by the Philistines. Why would God allow 30,000 men to die in battle? 30,000 because the Israelites mishandled what was holy. The Ark of the Covenant is not a good luck charm for you to be taking into battle. It is holy. It belongs to God. Uh, The Ark of the Covenant wreaks havoc in the Philistine country. It goes from one city and everyone breaks out in tumors and the wives are miscarrying and no one's having babies. It's just a big mess and tumors are you know, it's just, oh, it's just awful. They go, get that thing out of here. They take it to another place. They put it into the temple of Dagon. And they go, this is good. We'll put them in Dagon's temple. And in the morning, the temple, the, the statue of Dagon is on its face before the Ark of the Covenant. They go, oh, this is terrible. The Philistines pick the statue back up. Pick Dagon back up. They pick him back up. The next morning, they come back in. The statue of Dagon has fallen off again. The head is broken off. The hands are broken off. And the statue's, 
you know, face down, laying down, prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. The head and the hands of that, of that idol, that evil idol, are on the threshold. And then they're like, get it out of here. And in the end, it wreaks havoc all throughout Philistia to where they say, send it back. They send it back with a guilt offering because they don't want to make God mad. It's a gross guilt offering. It's like five golden tumors. How gross is that? But we can melt that down, I suppose, and I would, um, and make something nice with it. But they feared God. Then what happens? David, 20 years go by, David says, I'm going to take, he becomes king, I'm going to take the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. 30,000 men he takes with him. 30,000 men. No one's going to steal the Ark of the Covenant. And by the way, the Philistines don't even want it, so you don't have to protect it. What happens? 30,000 soldiers. But the scripture doesn't tell me anywhere that I could find where he took the Levites. Doesn't tell me anywhere that within the Levitical priesthood, the Kohathites were the ones who were supposed to move the ark. And the ark was never to be put on a cart. On the bottom of the ark, there were rings, a ring that was built onto the corner. And in that ring, they would uh, take a long pole and they would put the pole through the sets of rings. And then the Kohathites, not just any Levite, because that wasn't allowed, but the Kohathites would go and they would pick up the rings and they would carry it on their shoulders. And that is how the Ark of the Covenant was to be moved. The Kohathites, who were Levites, sons of Kohath. In fact, the scripture even says in Numbers, make sure that you never ever let the Kohathites die out or kick them all out of the country. Because they ought to move the covenant. So, you know, hey, don't ever be kicking out the Kohathites. Leave always have some Kohathites on hand. But David takes 30,000 soldiers. They put it on the cart. (laughs) And as they're walking along, one of the oxen stumbles and the ark starts to fall off. And Uzzah, his name is Uzzah, he reaches up. He's doing a good thing, right? Oh, the ark's going to fall. And he steadies it, touches it. Not fire. He just drops. Boom. And David gets mad. How could you do this, God? You're so mean. You're so mean. Oh, how can I take the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem? If you're going to be this way, you struck him down and all he did was doing a good thing. And David says, I'm scared. I'm not taking it to Jerusalem. Boom. Even King David got mad at God. Oh, but wait a minute. Is God mean? Or were they mishandling what is holy? 
They were acting in ignorance. And if you act in ignorance, you're still guilty. I always thought that was like law enforcement. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. But it actually started here. (laughs) In Leviticus. People of God, the things of God are holy. The most precious thing that belongs to God, the most precious thing on earth, is his sons and his daughters. No one should mistreat children. Children are to be, they're precious. They're precious. They're to be celebrated and cherished and protected. Marriage That belongs to God. That's a holy thing. Uh, We should protect that. We should cherish that. We should invest in that. Prayer is holy. The house of God is holy. Just... And I preached this a couple weeks ago in my church on Sunday morning when Pastor was in Korea. And I was preaching to myself because we all just need sometimes a little realignment, especially as we go into the last days. The scripture says that Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. And we have to get to where we're without spot or wrinkle. And it starts with honoring God. And I disagree with the Catholics on a lot. But I, I, was, I grew up Catholic and one thing they taught me, they taught me fear God. Fear God, little girl. (laughs) And I do. I do not mess with God. The Catholics instilled that in me. And we don't need an unhealthy fear. But Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Church, let's just not mishandle what is holy. Let us uh, treat people right. Let us treat God right. It may not be important to you, and it may not be important to me, but communion, prayer, the worship service, the preaching, the communion, you know, all these things that, that have to do with our faith and our service to God, they are important. To God. Amen.